A personal history of the Yaya from 1995 to 2012, never turn the other cheek. Before we leave the Yaya Management Committee and step down after 17 consecutive years I thought it would be interesting to recap on the changes in all aspects of the association's business over the years since we took over in 1995. Barnacle Brady, Limpet Lions and the committee are now voluntarily releasing their grip and a record of what has passed in these years might be of interest to some. This is a history of our years of tenure with a brief description of salient events and key incidents which everyone involved should recognize and be aware of. Statements and events can be supported by copies of corroborating documentation from my extensive personal files kept over the last 20 years. These records include original letters, annual accounts, emails, minutes of meetings and other sources all contained in hard copy files, diaries, floppy disks, zip disks, storage pens and personal computer files. These records are personal and having been compiled using my own time, stationery and equipment will not be made available to our successors. The wealth of detail and experience contained within will remain private unless for the purpose of approved, by me, research. Figures for income and expenditure are taken from audited annual accounts but some dates are taken from old personal diaries and therefore may not be exactly accurate. These revelations will cause many hitherto anonymous parties to appear in print for the first time, and although some time may have elapsed since the events there is no doubt that it will cause embarrassment to some. The intention is to contrast the present situation with the years leading up to our takeover, how decisions were taken and why, and also to look to what to expect of those that come after. Any embarrassment felt by participants will have to be accepted as a consequence of their actions or of being on the losing side. Our hostile takeover in 1995 was not a spur-of-the-moment event, regardless of how we try to portray it at the time. It was the culmination of years of disillusionment, dissatisfaction, planning of strategy and forging alliances with like-minded members. There was the recognition that the Yaya future was not in safe hands, but that no one can be willing to tear something down without also being willing to establish something better. All those who eventually became involved in the enterprise knew they would have to be willing to put their reputations to the test, and all were perfectly willing to give it a try. There was no guarantee of success, and no expectation that we would all still be here 17 years later. But history will show, as does the evidence presented here, that we presided over the most successful and well-managed era of recent, if not all times. Despite some extremely unpleasant recent AGMs most of what we achieved gave great satisfaction, and will stand as testimony to one of the best YI committees ever. We hand over now to an uncertain future and with the knowledge that what is coming after is of a temporary and transient form and has not the foresight or ability to continue the success. It is unfortunate that when the time came for us to hand the torch to our successors that they insisted on grabbing the lighted end. Firstly an outline of the condition of the Yaya when we took over. Year 1995. 1. The club employed six full-time bailiffs, a head bailiff, and an Alsatian dog. 2. It owned no fishing. 3. It had a deficit of £17,000 over its last year and a total deficit over the previous nine years of over £51,511. 4. It could afford to pay only half of the contracted rents to riparian owners. 5. Owners were in the process of removing lease stretches due to our inability to pay agreed rents. 6. It had 572 full members paying £110 annually. 7. The chairman had resigned, the vice chairman was interim chairman and the committee was in disintegration. 8. There was no money, the stocking program was a disaster, 
and the association was in all effects almost moribund. 9. The bailiff force was unsustainable, and a law unto itself. Against this background the AGM of 1995 saw the forming of the Stock Improvement Working Group which initially intended to take responsibility as a group for hatchery and stocking policy only. The group was formed by a number of experienced mostly Bamaha-based anglers who could see that continuing on the same lines would result in the dissolution of the Yaya and the end of their fishing. All had long experience as members and had seen the gradual deterioration in organization and profitability almost to the point of bankruptcy. The catalyst for the unrest which resulted in the SIUG was a series of questions directed to the committee at AGM regarding their plans for improving the fish numbers. These originated initially from P. Lyons and D. Sunman, although M. Brady had already been contacted with a view to becoming involved in an attempt to instigate some improvements. Completely separately, and without collaboration, two other members, M. McCritchie and C. McCrory, had also decided that some changes were needed. They asked similar questions on the night and the lack of satisfactory answers initiated the events that subsequently unfolded. The two groups were independent and their intentions were unknown to each other before the AGM. Rarely can like minds have come together with so fortuitous and long-lasting consequences. Following what was obviously a meeting of minds, what came to be called the SUB was formed in the Griffin Bar in Glasgow immediately after the 1995 AGM and initially consisted of Michael Brady, Angus McCritchie, Duncan Ferguson, Peter Lyons, David Sunman, Colin McCrory and Noel Spaulding. Michael Brady was elected as chairman at a meeting subsequently held in the Mail Coach Inn, Uddingston, now with the addition of John Clark, Willie Caldwell, John Curry and Alan Murray who was at that time already a disaffected committee member. The group was later joined by Tom Walker also already a committee member. The first of a long catalogue of disagreements caused John Clark to resign shortly after. This was the first indication of his predilection to assume that his was the only opinion that carried any weight, and all others were of no account. My hope is that he is included in the new management regime, as this will give them some idea of the disruption and empty house arguments he instigated over his various committee interludes. Following his recent resignation from the Yaya he is now the secretary of the Mid-Clyde Angling Association. Those remaining started the process of formulating a policy for stock enhancement which could be presented to the committee for approval. We stated that the management of the Yaya was in safe hands and we had no intention of becoming involved in anything other than hatchery slash stock enhancement. We made it plain that we had no intention of becoming involved in the committee at any time. This was not true and we had every intention of taking whatever measures were necessary to implement change. We trained in electro-fishing techniques, cleared choke spawning burns, planted trees, planted out fry, modified hatchery equipment and researched and planned a presentation to convince the committee to support our proposals. The SIUG, now with notable additions of some Voldak members, finally met with the committee to present their findings on August 3, 1995. The report was presented by Colin McCrory and at the end Chairman Bill Muir thanked them for their efforts but the committee did not intend to endorse the report. They considered that the existing arrangements for hatchery and stocking were already adequate. It was now clear that something more forceful in the way of change would be required. A request in writing was forwarded to the secretary, signed by 10 ordinary members, as required by the Constitution, requesting that an EGM be arranged to discuss the SUB report. This, however, was subsequently overtaken by events. Having already foreseen and prepared for this resistance the SIUG could see no way to implement their strategies other than by removing the obstacle of the committee and by initiating a hostile takeover. 
As a first step, following the resignation of three Phantom Committee members who, although elected, never appeared at meetings, four SUB members Michael Brady, David Sunman, Duncan Ferguson and Peter Lyons were co-opted to the committee. This was at the suggestion of Hamish Campbell. Over the next few months the committee disintegrated, culminating in the resignation of the chairman, Bill Muir, in November 1995. The vice chairman Hamish Campbell took over on a temporary basis to facilitate the election of a new committee at the forthcoming AGM, but it was obvious that other resignations closely following Bill Muir heralded the eventual demise. The remaining committee members nominated Michael Brady as the new chairman, proposed by Hamish Campbell who had previously intimated his intention not to stand. The committee nomination for vice chairman was to be Alan Murray, Hamish Campbell having declined this nomination also. Peter Holmes was the head bailiff at this time and attended all committee meetings where he ensured that the committee did nothing that impinged on his arrangements and afforded him the opportunity to head off anything which might interfere with his setup. He had his own shoot to run and made sure the other bailiffs also had theirs. This ensured that there was no chance of disharmony in the ranks and no whistle-blowing. He obviously knew that he was at risk of regained control but was sure he could outlast and outwit any attempt to curtail his lucrative arrangements. He openly stated at one meeting that you lot are only we boys playing at it, and I'll still be here long after you lot our history which turned out to be a serious underestimation of our determination. Notwithstanding the above, there was then a last-minute attempt by the outgoing vice chairman, Hamish Campbell, to have Professor Colin Adams, Glasgow University, and Dr. Colin Bean, Stirling University, installed as chairman and vice chairman respectively. They turned up unannounced at a committee meeting on February 12, 1996 just prior to the AGM, having been invited by Hamish and without the knowledge of any other committee members. Hamish then presented them as candidates for chairman and vice chairman. Both nominated by him. Neither of them were committee members or even YIA members at the time. This 11th-hour attempt was defeated by a vote on the night, it being pointed out that the office-bearers had already been selected and the committee did not intend any change. There was then an acrimonious discussion and a frank exchange of views following which Hamish Campbell, Colin Adams and Colin Bean left the meeting. Hamish Campbell subsequently tendered his resignation in which he left no doubt as to his expectations of total collapse of the Yaya within a short period. This error of judgment by Hamish resulted in much resentment felt by the two defeated candidates, which persists and has a bearing on things even today. An election strategy was implemented and following due process at the AGM the present committee was formed. The members endorsed Michael Brady as chairman and Alan Murray as vice chairman with a committee largely drawn from the SEOG, but including four members of the previous committee, Alan Dunlop, Tom Walker, Jimmy Boyle, and Ray Price. Many of the members of the SEUC who were elected at that time still serve as committee members today, as does Michael Brady who has now completed 17 uninterrupted years as chairman. When Michael became chairman of the YAI he stepped down as chairman of the SEUC, and Angus McCritchie was elected to the position he now still holds, in addition to being the appointed fishery manager. The AGM elected the committee as constituted above who immediately instigated a host of operational savings, economies, streamlining, and initiatives which were essential for survival. The secretary at that time was R.A. Clements, accountants, who carried out all the administrative and financial duties of the association. This work, much of it routine and uncomplicated, was charged to the Yaya at £60 per hour. It included attendance at all committee meetings to take the minutes and also time to produce the minutes. This was a luxury we obviously could no longer afford. 
All expenses and outlays were looked at and either reduced, tendered, or cut completely. The bailiff force was reduced and restructured to meet the restrictions of our diminishing funds. By the end of 10 next year only one remained from the original six. The most expensive single outgoing item was related to the bailiff's wages, transport and costs, and it was plain that in this area changes were desperately needed. A process of clandestine monitoring established that many of the bailiffs had additional jobs rearing pheasants and local shoots. It would be fair to say that at this point the bailiffs were producing more birds than fish, while transport, fuel, and time for this was all being provided free by YAYA members. Confronted with this the bailiffs involved did not take kindly to being exposed and threatened to resign en masse. Eventually, when confronted by witnesses and evidence of them carrying out their additional jobs on YAYA time, they realized they either had to accept that they gave full commitment for their wages or would be forced to move on. The restrictions imposed by now having to actually do some work for the Yaya quickly conflicted with their additional jobs and resulted in the resignation of all but one of the original bailiff force, taking with them the completely innocent Alsatian dog. Following difficulties with retaining leases, and increasingly bad relations with many riparian owners the owners demanded a meeting, also attended at their invitation by Bill Muir. Following frank discussions about the almost bankrupt state of the Yaya finances the owners only reluctantly gave their approval to the takeover. Why they expected to have a say in who constituted the Yaya committee was not made plain, and what they expected to happen had they decided we would not be allowed to continue was also never explained. However as a result, it was decided that from now on the only way forward for us was to own our own fishing stretches. This meant large amounts of cash had to be raised over a short period, and a fund to purchase fishing was set up. Retention of cash up until then had never been in Yaya's strong suite but this was to change. The fund would be used as and when selected stretches became available for purchase. Never again would owners hold us to ransom over annual fishing leases or demand a say in the running of association business as a condition of continuing their leases. The first year ended with a deficit of £16,925 due to repayment of erroneously claimed VAT and various other debts accrued in previous years, including paying all overdue back rents, £17,278, on the Endrick. It was a good start and better than could have been expected. It would be easy to blame the outgoing committee for all the ills, and we were initially as guilty as any for apportioning blame to our predecessors. In time we came to understand that in reality they were only a group of ordinary members doing the best they could with little support, while the real culprits were the vast majority who do nothing except moan and decry everything and tell others where they went wrong. Advice without responsibility is always easy to give, but there are still plenty who ignore this premise. It is a still cause for regret that the anxieties of the time did not allow a more gentlemanly easing out of the previous committee, but the seriousness of the predicament demanded instant and unavoidably harsh decisions. By the end of the year the takeover was substantially complete and the real work started. Summary of Accounts for 1995 Total income was £113,598, up £7,379 from previous year. That rebate of £8,639. Expenditure was up £9,077. Payment of Endrick back rents cost £17,258. Corporation tax for VAT rebate was £2,160. Overall deficit for year was £16,925. Assets were £61,927. 572 full members at £110. Virus free. 
www.avast.com